<laughs> Respectfully, no. Hey there, hellgoers. Hi, Laura. <laughs> it's so Hi, good to see Brando. you. Good to see you too. I'm so excited. Uh, thank you so much for being here. This is Laura, and she was one of my college roommates. Yes, I, that was a long time ago. I can't believe that it's been over a decade <laughs> since we've been yep. in school. Yeah, we our 10-year anniversary is uh, May 2023. You graduated in December, though, so yours is... Right now, basically. Yeah, yeah, which is wild. And we met uh, in the summer of 2009 at a um, freshman orientation session before the school year started uh, because Miranda made a sassy comment during one of the sessions and I turned around and was like absolutely 100% yes I agree (laughs) with everything you're saying and then we were friends and honestly that was just like us talking I had already had a a roommate lined up and you were like I don't have a roommate yet and I was like want to be friends yeah (laughs) So we, uh, there were three of us, and we lived in different variations of three or four people um, throughout college, depending on the building we were in. Yeah, and obviously uh, a large connection of ours is going to a staunchly Christian college. Um, Mm -hmm. So a lot of our experiences around some really major topics were similar. Yep. But I'm excited to talk about your perspective on some things, particularly we can get into some purity culture discussion today. Yep. And a lot right. of this for us, I just want to do a quick trigger warning based on some of the things we might talk about. Uh, purity culture can be triggering for a lot of people, but we'll talk about our relationships with our sexuality, our possible experiences with other people, possible sexual assault conversations. So just want to give a trigger warning on that, that if that makes anyone uncomfortable, we just want to let you know ahead of time. Feel free to stop listening whenever you'd like. Uh, But we want to be really honest because this is a topic that for me, I think this was my biggest struggle uh, in Mm -hmm. navigating the church and my relationship with my sexuality and with God and my spirituality. So uh, I don't know about you, but this was a big one for me. Yeah, it was as well. And <clears throat> I think there is there has been so much stigma and shame around this topic. I think in a society as a whole in a lot of places, not just in the church, but uh, and especially for women more so than men, that it's yes. like you said, we're going to try to be really honest and frank. And um, I think that's really necessary because of how much stigma and shame has surrounded this. Yes. Uh, I love that you mentioned that particularly for women in the church, this has been Mm -hmm. a specific struggle. It's definitely different. So we can get into more of those details, but I'd love, I've shared a little bit already in the last episode about my church background, but I'd love for you to Mm -hmm. share a little bit about what your experience was with church growing up, what your background is and kind of where that led you. Yep, I spent a lot of time in church uh, as a child. So I grew up in a non-denominational church that was definitely um, charismatic, Pentecostal mm-hmm. leaning. Um, I also went to a private Christian school through ninth grade, and then I went to public school for 10th yeah. through 12th grade, and then I went back to a private Christian college. 
Um, you know, I was in usually in middle school and high school, I was in two youth groups. So I was at youth group on Sunday and youth uh-huh. group on Wednesday. Um, you know, I volunteered, I helped teach Sunday school, I did all the things. Um, interestingly, the church I grew up in was actually more positive about women being in leadership yeah. positions. We had female pastors, we had women who would preach. Um, regularly and so that was something that I think influenced me positively and I actually remember in college arguing with people pretty regularly about yes whether or not women should be allowed in leadership positions in the church um absolutely which is funny now that I think about it but you know it was really involved in everything we did and my parents very much pushed it at home as well um yeah which is a whole other story but uh, yeah, I mean, that is what my life was. When I graduated from college, I did for a few years attend another church. This church was very large uh, near where I lived. It was also very charismatic, sort of Pentecostal leaning. Sure. Um, and being really big had some differences from what I was used to when I was younger. Um, yeah. And honestly, I started to question the church a lot more when I started teaching in public schools and just having more exposure to to folks, um, different kinds of people. And I was already really questioning things, but the 2016 election was really the nail in the coffin for me. And I really washed my hands of the church uh, at that time and decided I wasn't going to try to find another church. I didn't care. I had no desire to be a part of it anymore. Yeah. It's interesting that you mention. actually, both of us have an education background as our career. Yeah. Uh, that's mm-hmm. actually another thing that we had in common that we started mm-hmm. as ed majors. And uh, can you tell a little bit about the types of populations of people that you worked with and kind of how that contributed to you questioning? Yeah, yeah. So I worked for um, a Title I school, very under-resourced. Uh, I live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which people usually think about Amish people, but actually in the city, we have a really high Hispanic population. Um, We take in the most number of immigrants per capita than any other city in the entire country. Um, And so we also just have a lot of immigrants from from lots of places, maybe who aren't even refugees, pretty high African-American population. And so there's just a lot... It's extremely diverse. There's a lot of languages being spoken, and it's a really a more liberal city, um, yep. as cities tend to be. It's a small city, but it's definitely more liberal. You know, when I saw the experiences my students were having and, and this how the system was so fucked up and that, you know, I'm supposed to be trying to get kids to care about standardized test scores when they're literally homeless. when they have a single parent and there are six kids and they're responsible to get their younger brothers and sisters up every day because their mom works 75 hours a week to try to make ends meet right and it just really changed my perspective on what it what some of the things in the bible actually meant when it talked about like caring for the sick and the poor and the widows and the orphans and um loving people and being charitable and all of that and i just got wow, we're doing this so wrong. And like my students are amazing and wonderful and how much more could they do in life if they have the resources they need? And so that really started making me think more liberal politically. Um, it all sort of coincided. The, the hypocrisy I saw in the church connected to all of that. 
was really, really, I, I, I could not square those things in my mind. So one thing that you're saying, which I find really interesting, is that your your politics ended up kind of being challenged because we were both generally conservative leaning uh, and we both went that direction, particularly working with young people in cities. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. We went more liberal in our politics and because we wanted to make the Bible make sense, at least for me, I was like, this is, but this is what it said. Like it said to take care of people. And so now we're here like leaving the church. And so I want to know, like, how do you identify spiritually now? Where are you at? And how are you? Because obviously you're not in a church any longer. So where are you at personally? It's a really funny question because I actually have some friends who there's a church in Lancaster that um, is amazing from all accounts. They have a lesbian minister. Um, they are like extremely affirming of the LGBTQ community, right? It's really great. I have some LGBTQ friends who go there. They also are like really about social justice. They've actually, when they sing some like common church songs, like they change the lyrics so they're not so patriarchal. So they're not like, so like the song, it's like, oh, I love You're that. Good, good father, it's who you are. That was a bad version of it, but they change it to like mother and like things like that where they're like, oh, cool trying to make it more inclusive and so they're like a couple of my friends have started going they're like oh my god it's so great we love it we love gay church they call it gay church and i love that i love that for them i don't want to go to gay church you know like and it's not i mean by all accounts this sounds like a place i would feel the best at but i am not in that place i think i'm still working through a lot of religious trauma and i don't know if i'll ever be in that place um so i don't know on a typical day i i probably would say I'm sort of agnostic. I probably believe there's some sort of God. I tend to refer to God as a she because it annoys people. Um, and I usually say I things love annoying like, people on purpose. I don't think God, ca- I don't think, uh, if there is a God, I don't think she cares if I'm having sex before marriage. I literally said that Facts. the other day to someone. They laughed so hard, right? And they're like, <laughs> that is so, that statement is so offensive in so many ways to so many people. And I was like, yeah, literally that was the goal. That is very so, yeah. layered. <laughs> yeah, right. So, I mean, that's probably what I would say. You know, I, do I think there's maybe a higher power? Like, yeah, probably, I don't know. The world seems yeah. like kind of too intricate to, for me to just think it all happened by chance. But, I'm like, with you on that. Do I think I'm going to hell? <laughs> Do I think hell exists? I don't know. Maybe. Like, <laughs> yeah. We'll I see. mean, I, I start the podcast with, hey there, hell goes. Hey there, hell goes. Yeah. Yeah. Call me what you want. <laughs> I think Taylor Swift <laughs> said that in a song. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, purity culture. Now, yes. this is like, a, a, it triggers my fight or flight when I hear purity now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a person who wore, I wore a purity ring. Oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> I have to remember you're saying this for everyone else, not me, because I was there. Yeah. yeah, I wore a purity ring. I took a purity class. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a book. What was the book called? And the Bride Wore White. That's what it was. Yes. I was like, I don't know. There's a lot of books, Miranda. Yeah, that's the book. Because uh, that the author, what was her name? Sorry, with a D, I think. Dana Gresh. Wow, this is... You're Deep pulling in that out of somewhere, yeah. <laughs> it's not a good place, but she spoke no. at our college. She was I, a chapel speaker on a I day. believe that. I feel like I may have blocked it out. 
I have repressed a lot of things. I also that have was come really up. bad at going to chapel in college, as you know. You I always were had... the worst. <laughs> Listen, okay, this is not part of this story, but I have to say it anyway. Senior year, second semester, I was a student teacher, which meant I didn't have to have any chapel credits. I still had to go to nine <laughs> evening chapels because I had carried over the max from the semester before. Okay, and the evenings were double to, credits. <laughs> and I had to go to the last Sunday evening service of the year in order to get all of my chapel credits to graduate. And I would just like to say I was not the only English education major who was there. <laughs> so we're saying there's a stereotype. I got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so funny. Anyway. But purity culture in general, for people who maybe didn't call it that, Mm -hmm. the idea that particularly young women had to remain pure, not having sex, often including uh, masturbation, or even in some more extreme fundamentalist churches, all the way to kissing, depending on how people interpreted that concept. And you needed to wait until you were married to be intimate with your yes. spouse. And yes. I want to know, like, what was purity <clears throat> culture as it was taught to you? What was your perspective yeah. of it when you were taught? So definitely some of the things you just mentioned, right? I mean, we definitely had youth group sessions and youth group retreat things and stuff that were focused on it. We did not have a specific purity class, but our church was also smaller, so we just didn't always have those kinds of things. Um, Again, at my private Christian school, also those kinds of things. We had chapel once a week. We had Bible class every day. We would talk about those sorts of topics. Um, I also think, you know, even a little further than what you talked about, one thing that was pushed on me that was sort of part of the women's, the woman's responsibility in purity culture was dressing modestly. Oh my gosh. And how um, men are very visual and it's our responsibility to ensure our brothers in Christ don't sin. Um, I am a woman who has big boobs. I always have. I'm, I'm a heavier woman in general. I've always had big boobs. And so... Um, there was a lot of like guilt and shame around if my chest was going to be out at all or had any cleavage. Um, right. And, and yeah, I mean, just generally no one ever told me that like kissing was off limits, but that, you know, kissing could lead to more. So you have to be careful. It was always Um, the implied act of sex. Um, and I was, I mean, I had a boyfriend in high school and we made out, um, that was it like we were good quote unquote um yeah you know but oh and also another thing that you mentioned that was true and i might not get into this now but the um pornography and masturbation were not things you would do if you were being pure and um i think oftentimes the church focused that conversation a lot more on boys and men Um, And it was something that I, again, people can't see my air quotes, struggled with when I was younger, um, which we can maybe, I don't want to derail us too far, but those are some of the pieces that really um, were important. And, you know, my mom, um, like, continued some of those conversations at home. You know, there was always Mm -hmm. conversations when we went shopping about being modest. Um, 
there was also, and this is a whole other conversation, but again, because I've always been a, a, a fat woman, I'm, I'm, that's not an insult. I am fat. It is a true statement, but yeah, there's no uh, fat phobia here. That's for sure. Right. There's this connection of the fact that men are really visual. So it's yes. our job to make sure they stay pure. And also because you're fat, they may not be as interested in you because they're so visual. And so you may not find a spouse. Wow. Yeah. Um, which is like, my therapist is like, oh my God, Laura, you're just putting all the shit out there right away. But uh, yeah, I mean, that was a really layered thing, but that was all intertwined mm. for me. Yeah. And it's interesting. I The, mod- the modest is hottest phrase. Yeah. <laughs> was my whole like 12 to 18 year old life. Um, Y'all, I have to tell you a secret about Miranda, though. Uh-oh. Our junior year, maybe? Okay. She was on this group. I don't even remember what the group was, but they did these different, like, talks and sessions for female oh, yep. students. Uh, Association and, of Women Students. Yep. Yeah. And there was going to be this event that was going to be called Modest is Hottest. And then people didn't like that name, so we had to change it to What Not to Wear or something like that. And it was literally a session about modesty that Miranda helped to run. (laughs) Yep. Sure did. And you know what? People still hated us because we were an organization run by all women on campus. Yes. People thought it was problematic. Wow. These are all repressed memories. I know, Um, right? I'm sorry. No, it's good. This is like an extra therapy session that I don't have to pay for. Um, No, but I think uh, like I recall I had I don't know if you remember this. This was like a a fashion trend, but there were these um, satiny tank tops that had like lace trim circa 2000. Um, Yeah. And I was wearing one once and it was like summertime. Mm-hmm. And I was not allowed to leave the house in a spaghetti strap tank top. Yes, I was not either. That was like an actual argument I had yeah. was about this shirt. And I remember thinking for no reason other than this is stupid that I was so frustrated with the culture. I didn't have words for it. I couldn't explain right. it, but I was Just frustrated. Like it's hot and I want to wear a tank top. And I like it. I feel good in it. Like I right. felt, and you don't feel confident often at fourteen. Like no, come on. Um, no. And I just remember feeling like uh, this seems unfair. But when you say mm-hmm. that as a teenager, it sounds angsty and not yeah, right. Just like, like a legitimate everything yeah. argument. Yeah, um, but that was very common. Mm-hmm. You, I remember missing out on lots of like fashiony trends specifically mm-hmm. because they were deemed inappropriate okay but for some reason we were allowed to wear that for like prom and homecoming dances only like, in formal why occasions. was i allowed to wear a strapless dress for my sister's wedding for my prom whatever that so but true. That's it, right like the the lines just are nonsense and they just move and they don't make sense the cognitive dissonance yeah and that was our experience i had my childhood best friend her mom would not allow that she had to wear some kind of shawl or sweater or something along those lines so it's important that like there are levels of this and while we definitely had negative experiences our experiences were not at the most extreme 
That is so true. And that is really important to point out because we are speaking only about our personal experiences. There are people who I'm sure have had more extreme experiences than us. And there are people who I'm sure have also had more positive experiences with purity culture than we have. This just so happens to be what we experienced. So I was saying earlier that for me, purity culture, I feel like it's always been around me. Like I can Mm -hmm. remember it from very young, but how old-ish were you when you feel like you were really understanding the concept of being pure and what kind of effect do you think that had on your sexuality? Yeah, I think like late elementary school, early middle school was when I started to have a better concept. Again, I have always had a larger chest. And when I was in about third grade is when I really started having boobs. And so that's when the modesty conversations started. But I'd say, and so I was like eight in third grade. So I'd probably say around like 11 or so is when it started to be really a more like focus on purity culture overall, not just that modesty piece. I mean, I definitely just repressed a lot of my sexuality for a long time. Um, and it made me feel really guilty and ashamed. Yeah. And like, I was just not a good enough Christian. Like I was a failure. Like I was, I, you know, I wasn't doing my devotionals enough. I wasn't praying enough. I wasn't close enough to Jesus. Yep. If I was having these like thoughts or temptations or whatever, um, just like wild to put on like a 12 or 13 year old. Absolutely. Because that like, oh, you're just, like, having normal human, in, in, like, experiences and, like, yes. urges, and, like, that makes Biological you things that everyone biological. Yeah, and I feel like, well, here's a great example of the difference between, like, what happened to, like, young men and young women, right? So, my parents, like, never really talked to me about sex for the most part. They gave me, like, books, and the books were, like, fine, but they were, like, Christian books, right? Correct. And they talked, they t- I remember in these books distinctly talking about how, like, it was very normal for young men to have like wet dreams and like erections that are sort of out of their control and things like that. And like that was considered okay. But like if, a but there was no conversation about the fact that like women can also just like be aroused sometimes. Correct. And like, is that wrong? And oh my God, I'm going to like go on a whole rant here. So please do. I think what that also then created problems for some people is then if you're in a situation where you are being sexually assaulted or abused Mm. and you are having an arousal which is a normal physical Mm -hmm. reaction sometimes to what is happening you are thinking that you have done something wrong or impure or bad when you are just having a normal biological reaction but that's not how women are taught I don't know about everywhere, but at least in my experience and like in the church and everything, like we weren't taught that that was normal. Yes. I did a lot of internalizing that arousal was sinful unless I was in a very specific circumstance. And Hmm. I was someone who got married very young to my he, wasn't, he didn't go to my high school. He went to my church, my church boyfriend that I met at 15 and married by 21 because this was now the circumstance in which I could be aroused. That's yeah, the only and, circumstance. And like, 
I, I mean, I'll just talk about that a little bit because obviously I was the, I was like a third party observer. You know, I was in yes. your wedding. We, you know, we talked about this kind of stuff. We talked about sex a lot in college because we weren't allowed to do it. So we just all talked about it a lot. Absolutely. So like 100%. Miranda graduated a semester early, got married because she wanted to have sex. 100%. Like, all of my decisions we, were based around this. My sister also got married right out of college. She was already having sex, but she wanted to live with her boyfriend, fiance, husband, ex-husband now, but, and knew that our parents would never, ever, I mean, my parents would have, my mom would have had a complete mental breakdown if Christy tried to do that. So they got married like a month after they graduated. Right. And so it, and, and both of those marriages ended in divorce. Correct. And not because either anyone in that, well, he was a D-bag, but not because people are bad or anything like that, but because people should not be rushing into marriage at 21 and 22 years old when you don't even know who the fuck you are because you want to have sex. That's exactly right. And I would love some, I'm sure someone somewhere is doing this as like their thesis somewhere. I want to (laughs) know the women of our generation and the statistics on evangelical Christian women who are now divorced. Because- Oh my God, Miranda. It's astronomical. Everyone we know from college, except for the one couple that like lives here in Lancaster with me, 100%, every single person I know who got married like within a year after college is divorced now. And it's, what makes me sad is that none of this had to happen. None of it. It didn't. Well, and like another reason that this happened for some folks, which again, this is not the topic of this podcast, is because people eventually came out a few years into their marriage. And good for them. As they should. good for them. But you know how sad it is? Some of those people have children. Some of those people didn't. But like, what a sad thing for that other person for those children and it's none it's nobody's fault and that person should live their truth and it didn't have to happen that way there didn't have to be harm yes if we had if if there wasn't so much oppression in the church and that's the one thing that i want to say like when we say it's nobody's fault we're talking about the people that are involved yes whose fault it is is the people who are garbage at leading a church of people to love other people like that's who sucks like that's honestly it's not about the bible there are people who are garbage people that really need to get it together because there i'm thinking of very specific people that we know that i'm like Mm -hmm. i feel so sad that they felt they needed to hide for so long yes Yes, and and some people who, I'm thinking of someone who didn't get married and came out shortly after college and knew in college, knew that that was his truth. And, you know, he did not have to go through the heartbreak of marrying someone or having children Mm -hmm. and have all of that, you know, and still he had to hide who he was for so long. And that's, that alone is really tragic and terrible and traumatizing um and then add on those other people's people and yes that's a great clarification like when i say it's no one's fault i mean that husband and wife it's not their fault correct they didn't do anything 
they weren't purposefully trying to harm each other. You know, they weren't doing this uh, to be malicious or to purposefully yeah. lie yeah. or something, but that is what they thought they were supposed to do. And people yes. are told that is a sinful, impure desire that you have. And so you yes. just have to overcome that. Yeah. And it's interesting that it's talked about as something that we have to overcome when right. I would also love to see the statistics on how many pastors had sex before they got married because yes. that would be an interesting study because I waited and now here yep. I am and now I am in a happy relationship now did it take me a shit ton of trauma to get here yes and mm -hmm. And therapy. <laughs> so much therapy and conversations with my current partner about yeah. my sex life in a way that was trauma inducing, that I had to talk about these yes. things that I experienced with this new person that and now this new person has to unpack this as well. And Absolutely. he has nothing to do with it. And that's so yep. frustrating because I'm looking at this going like, wow, my reactions to sexual advances are so extreme sometimes that mm -hmm. I wonder what I could have been like if yep. these things had never happened, if, if these thoughts had never been so internalized in me. I want to remind everyone we are going to give a quick trigger warning for conversations around sexual assault starting now. So this is actually really, I feel like a good segue into part of my story, which is so I had a boyfriend in high school we made out a lot. We never went further than that. I didn't really have any relationships in college, which was fine because I was a hot mess. Um, <laughs> Same. You know, and then, and then a year and a half or so after college, um, one night, you know, I had moved to Lancaster. I had a new job. One night I went out with some friends, had too much to drink. We all went back to a friend's apartment and uh, I had an interaction with a guy um, and it started as sort of like kissing and making out. And I yeah. felt okay about that. And it reached a point where I no longer was okay. And I did ask him <clears throat> to stop, asked him to stop. He didn't, you know, we were actually the, the friend's apartment we were in was just down the hall from my apartment. And so I was trying, I like said a few times that I wanted to go back to my apartment he was trying to force his way into my apartment. I mean, there was a lot happening. And, and mind you, at this point, I'm a virgin, right? The most yep. I've done is make out with my high school boyfriend. Um, <clears throat> I'm struggling. And part of the struggle is I am feeling aroused in this situation. Correct. Because that is often but, but, a biological response to these experiences. Exactly. But cognitively, I'm like, I want to go to bed home by myself. Like, that is what I want. Cognitive. But, but, but I'm drunk. So I can't. Yes. I can't get all of this out but i'm like yep. i know this is what i want i can't verbalize it but i'm having an arousal so that's confusing to me yes and even you know so ultimately fortunately my friend like was like yo dude you need to leave and like got him to leave the building and like i went to bed and the next day i was really and i went you know i went to bed and i was drunk and i fell asleep the next day i had this really hard time where i i think i called you but i was yes like I, I feel like I was assaulted and also in my own head, I'm like, but I was aroused. Does that mean I was assaulted? Right. Cause obviously I was sort of enjoying it, but like, I didn't want it. And, and that's what I meant earlier when I talked about how harmful that was. And it took me a long time 
to really understand that and to say Mm -hmm. like you can have a physical arousal and something might physically feel good and not emotionally and intellectually feel good like those are Mm -hmm. two separate things and they they don't always happen they need to be happening in harmony for it to be like a positive consensual consensual. yeah right right and so um i also like the, the some of the other friends who were there you know were kind of blaming me for it and it was this really bad situation and i actually really didn't get any help like i called the sexual assault hotline like that day because i was just trying to figure out my life i called you and cried for a while and and then i just sort of bottled it up like i did with a lot of emotions in my life yep. because of some other childhood trauma that i was just like nope i don't feel things i'm that's it and then I essentially did not have a physical interaction with a man for several years yeah because you know I would sometimes first of all I was teaching and teaching is like a soul-sucking job and I didn't have a lot of time but even when I was trying to date (laughs) I'd go on two or three dates with a guy and I'd be like eh Mm. I don't know because I was afraid of getting close to someone of course and again there are multiple levels to why that happened, but the yep. assault definitely contributed to it. Um, and it's actually funny. I was in therapy for about two years with my therapist. I have a very good relationship with her, doing a lot of work on my childhood traumas. And one day I just go, oh yeah. And then when I was sexually assaulted and then I like continue to talk and I like finished whatever I was saying. And she goes, I, I just want to pause for a minute <laughs> yep. and just acknowledge that you just yep. said that you were sexually assaulted You've never told me that before. We do not have to talk about it any further now Mm. or anytime soon if you don't want to. But I want to acknowledge that I heard you say that and that is important. Yes. And I that like you are safe if you want to talk about it. And I was like, I don't want to talk about it. So we just kept going. We have talked about it now and and done a lot of work, um, which is great. But yeah, it was this really confusing experience. And now, like, you know, however many years removed from that, have thought about how might that have played out differently for me mm. if I hadn't been raised in purity culture. Maybe yep. it still would have happened, but how would my understanding of it yep. have been different? How would my ability wow. to talk to someone about it have maybe yeah. been different? I don't know the answer. Maybe it wouldn't have been different, but maybe it would have been. Yep. How maybe it maybe I would have if I had that understanding that arousal does not equal something you want, I would have been able to vocalize a little more what was a yep. what was going on in my head. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm sure some people who hear this might be like, "Well, you shouldn't have been drinking." And I that is a whole other podcast and you know, I work That's for That's exactly right. I, I am a hotline. I work on a 24-7 sexual assault hotline as a volunteer. I have a lot of things around this. I could go on about this all day. Yep. That's not the problem. Um, people are allowed to drink. I was in a place that I thought was safe as I was with friends. I wasn't, yes. you know, and, and even if you are not with a place that was safe with friends, it can still happen. I was literally with some of my close friends and it still yep. happened to me with them yep. being several feet away from me. So that's not really the issue, right? The issue is our our societal issues with toxic masculinity, rape culture, consent, you know, purity culture, all of these things are all intertwined. And so I I think about that sometimes and I can't change anything now, but it makes me think about what we can do better for people in the future. 
You know, it's such a good point, and I'm glad that you said it because um, the idea that it, because this is similarly to how you spoke about how the 2016 election was a nail in the coffin for you. <laughs> Uh, the conversation around consent and rape culture, specifically with the presidential candidate at the time, was the nail in the coffin for me. And I, prior to the 2016 election, I was drugged at a bar five mm-hmm. feet from my friends. And mm-hmm. in a similar way, I refused. All of the advice I would have given to someone else, I refused yep. to do. Same. I was like, I no, I'm not like, going. If my friend told me, I'd be like, these are all the things you should do. Yep. And, and I, I said, I no, like, no, nope. not doing it. No, I'm not. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm not going to the police. No, I'm not like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not, I'm right. not, I'm not because it's easier. Your brain will do so many mental gymnastics to cope with whatever it's is protective. happening to you. Yes. It's protective. And if you have grown up For me in particular, um, if you have grown up in the type of trauma I grew up in at home as a child, your brain is very good at coming Mm -hmm. up with coping mechanisms with saying, well, we're just going to we're just going to pretend that doesn't exist. We're just not going to feel feelings because it's easier to not feel feelings than to feel these extremely difficult feelings. Um, or like, you know, you already know that you can't count on people. You that was proven your entire childhood. Why would this be any different? It's just all one and the same. Even when I was reached the point where I no longer, where I was like, I'm no longer, I don't care about the church. I'm not a part of that. Um, And I started to feel like sex before marriage was fine. I was not able to engage in any any behavior. You know, I remember I I went on a handful of dates with this one guy. Uh, He came over one night and, you know, we were making out and getting kind of hot and heavy and he was I, he was trying to put his hands in my in my underwear yeah. and I kept stopping him and it wasn't that I it, it wasn't like he was like crossing a line of he wasn't like trying to cross my boundaries yes. but it was just like that was potentially like the next natural move and he was kind of going for it and like yep. seeing how I respond and I was like no 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 and it was in and in that case it was like intellectually something I wanted but I couldn't yeah. let myself do it and um that was a, a barrier for a little while. And, you know, even this is funny, but, you know, the, the first few, um, like, interactions I did have, I, I remember texting you yep, and being like, this is embarrassing, but I don't know who to talk to because, like, I'm older than I feel like I should be to, like, be having these experiences yeah. for the first time. Yep. So, like, my, my adult friends, to talk to them about this now that was like friends I made as like a grown adult in the real world. Like it would, it feels too embarrassing to talk to them, but like you understand yes. why I'm this age and just having these experiences for the Correct. first time. Um, well, something that's tied so, yeah. into all of this that I didn't think about until I was much older was that these experiences now, like we're still dealing with the idea that the choices we're making sexually could affect our eternal yeah. damnation or right. 
salvation based on based on our sexual preferences like that is still astounding to me that I struggle sometimes still with the overwhelming feeling of guilt that I have to unlearn and deconstruct in my mind that I am damning myself to an eternity of torture if I make the wrong choice I'm laughing because I I think that's where I was yeah it was sort of first happening and now I have just slutted it up so much. We're here for that, the whole phases. Yeah, that I, I'm like, well, if I was gonna go to hell, it's not because I'm in a monogamous relationship with like a loving partner. It's because of some of that other stuff that I did. So that shit is so hell going. We're all here together. <laughs> I love it. You know, it's funny because like it was a slow process and I spent a lot of time talking to my therapist and there was a lot of anxiety and there was a lot of everything and then I just like I like reached this point and I was just like yep I'm gonna have all of the sex I have to make up for lost time I missed out I was like like, that's what I could have been doing right and like the first time I had sex it was with it's not like we were dating super duper long but it was like someone that I had been dating for a little while he was gentle and understanding and yes. all of all of the things right and I it was it was wonderful and I was like damn like that's what I've been missing yes and, um, and then you know he and I it didn't work out and I was and then you know the, the next partner too I was still a little like yep eh, you know and then uh yeah and then I was just like let's just have fun you know and I mean that's it yeah I will say having a slut phase and, and I, when to me, I'm owning slut, right? This is uh, not, I'm not yes, being derogatory it's not towards derogatory. myself. We love all yeah. the sluts here. I, I went through that and it was almost like exposure therapy. No, yeah, it was like, absolutely. I just had, yeah, I just had to keep sort of doing it. And not like I was like, I'm going to go have sex so that I, I'm like exposed, you know, <laughs> not like that, but it was just like when I, as I had some more partners and some of them we had, you know, everyone's definition of sex sometimes is different yeah. some of them we had intercourse some of them we didn't i had all you know all kinds of partners yeah. i i had a threesome get it girl it was real fun um you know and it was it was like okay like i've had this experience and like i know what i like i feel confident about like being yes. able to communicate i feel confident about like asking partners what they want and what they like and also i'm just real tired of like being on tinder all the time um facts yeah and i think like not everybody needs to go through a little literal slut phase i did um and i you know now i have a partner who is great um we are actually moving in together at the end of this month which is we love him yeah which is scary in some ways but really exciting and um like we have a really great sex life and you know he had some of his own um things to overcome he also grew up in the church but decided the church was bullshit when he was like 13 and started having sex in like eighth grade he had a few things from a past relationship when it came to sex that were like a little bit challenging um and you Mm. know really worked through them and we have a really great sex life and i just it makes me think of just like the bullshit we were told where it's like if you have if you wait till you're married you'll have a beautiful god will bless your sex life it'll be so wonderful what a joke if you don't like you're sleeping with everyone the other person has slept with and i'm like well i'm pretty sure my number's higher higher so he's the one you know whatever 
Um, <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. And I, yeah. this is a, this is a good segue into what you wish you knew. So now that you've had these mm. experiences, what do you wish that you would have known about sex and these relationships that would have helped you navigate what you're, what you've gone through now? So some really practical things, um, around protection and vaccines. Um, I have been on birth control pills. I had been on birth control pills for a long time because I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, so it wasn't like I had to learn to, to, I had to like go get on birth control or anything. Um, actually have an IUD and that was amazing, but, um, you know, like, especially when I was sort of hoeing it up, I needed to go get tested regularly. Yes. And I didn't know really anything about that. So I had to teach myself. I'm really, we're really fortunate in my community that there's like a free STD clinic uh, once a week. We love healthy sex. Yeah. And and they're like the most non-judgmental, like amazing. Like they they have a form you fill out where it's like, how many partners do you have? How, what's your gender identity? What's your sex assigned at birth? Do you sleep with men? Do you sleep with women? Like it's like yeah. just so unassuming, and they don't um, they don't even call your name. They give you a number. Like the one day yeah. I was, I like went in and I my you know, they asked me like how many people you how many partners you've had in the last like three months or something like yeah. that. And I was like adding it up and I was like, Ooh, that's a high number. And I was like, so the woman was like, okay, she's like going to my street. She's like, okay, so this is a number. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of high. And she goes, we're just glad you're here. And like moved on. Mm, um, yep. You know, I actually I went on prep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like is something people really only hear. It's like, Oh, well like gay men are supposed to be on prep. And like, yeah, really anyone who has multiple non-monogamous, you know, you're, or eat, multiple partners outside of like a you know a committed poly relationship or something like that you really should be on prep if you're if you're doing that um I did not get the HPV vaccine as a teenager because my mom was like my children are never going to have sex before they're married and even though our doctors tried to convince her that what if they have a spouse who didn't wait heaven forbid you know they get raped or something and my mom had none of it um and so mm-hmm. fortunately in the last few years they have made the HPV vaccine available to women up to the age of 40. And so I was able to get vaccinated, but I just finished yeah. those vaccinations a year ago, right? Yeah. Um and it's like how foolish and mm-hmm. dangerous for right. us not to protect our children. Um not that I plan on having any, but how dangerous it is. Yeah. Um, so just some of those practical things. This is something that, I, this next question is something I've thought a lot about. Um, if you were to talk to young female identifying people now, what would you want them to know and believe about themselves and their sexuality? If you hear, my dog is click clacking in the background. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so I've thought about it a lot, like if I were to speak to myself, if that's helpful, mm-hmm. but what would you want them to know or believe about themselves or their sexuality, especially young girls who maybe are trying to navigate out of Mm -hmm. a purity culture mindset? Yeah. I mean, I think like it's, it's maybe corny, right. But it's just messages about like your 
your worth and this is maybe bigger picture right because it also ties yep. into like diet culture and like fat yes. phobia but like your worth is not your your inherent worth has nothing to do with your body mm. your body's actually the least interesting thing about you amen right and so yep. man we're in church miranda amen i just got an amen right that that is That's so true your inherent worth is not connected to your body and there are multiple pieces that that connects to but having sex masturbating watching pornography which we didn't even really get into but i had yeah. a lot of issues with i mean i masturbated and watched porn and i so much guilt and so much shame surrounding that when i was younger um yeah and so I think that's sort of the crux of the message. What other pieces I might say, I don't know exactly, but I think society has commodified women's bodies. Society has made us believe that our bodies are really all that we're worth. And the church has added to that in another way. And another thing we didn't really touch on, but there's a lot of churches where, you know, they really value sex as a way to procreate only. And that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's the women's job is to have, children and so there's yes there's just so much that we do in the world to make women hate feel ashamed of etc of their bodies well talking about having children is a great point because it's also another way to control sex and the pleasurable experience particularly for women it's like there is an end utilitarian goal of sex for women and the the way to achieve that goal is through male orgasm yes and has nothing to do with female right yeah female identifying pleasure just does not matter so if the point is to have children then it then the goal has nothing to the the act has nothing to do with female pleasure it really only matters about male pleasure so i mean there's so many layers to all of this and some of these are things i've experienced personally that i've shared some of these are things that while i haven't experienced personally some of my like work and advocacy um in like the social services field yeah has given me an interesting perspective on it um it really is layered and you could probably have literally a whole podcast where the only thing you talk about is purity culture. And yes, you could talk to 10 other people who would have threads of these same experiences, but absolutely different. And so now you're (laughs) on the quote unquote other side. So to speak, you've done lots of hard work. You have gone to extensive therapy. You've been really open, really vulnerable about some of your struggles and experiences. How do you feel now that where you're at on the other side of this in multiple ways, whether it's like out of the church, out of purity culture, you've Mm. stepped into Mm -hmm. who you are and feel more like yourself. How do you feel now that you're on that metaphorical other side? I mean, I think overall I feel great. Like I am happy most of the time you know it's funny because when we just started talking earlier before at the podcast i said well i had a shit day you know but (laughs) but when it comes to who i am and what my life is yeah i feel happy and i feel really grateful for my relationship i feel sometimes i think sad for younger lara and sad for young women who are still in these situations or even older women who are in these situations people who are 
maybe yeah. trying to find their way out or, or feel yeah. like there is no way out. Um, so not sadness for myself, but just sadness that this system, this oppression really still exists. Yep. Um, but like on a personal level, I, first of all, I love having sex. It's amazing. Um, Amen. I highly we recommend love it. That here. With a, with a, with a, you know, a great, with a, doesn't have to be the love of your life, but with a partner who's respectful and, yes. and cares about your pleasure as, and their own, um, I'm generally really happy and I feel peaceful. I, I had so much anxiety. I've had so much anxiety in my life and I still have anxiety um, from so many things, but there was always a lot of anxiety around finding a partner, finding a spouse, sex, Yes. You know, my body, what it looks like, what it's for, all of these things. And, um, you know, I just don't have that same level of anxiety anymore. And that's really great. I love the word peace because I feel like that is something that was used biblically mm-hmm. against me for a long time to... And I don't just mean me, but in the culture of evangelical churches in general, yeah. peace was always used as a bargaining chip for making right choices. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. if you were making the right choices, you would feel, feel at mm-hmm. peace. And I never did. Me neither. <laughs> and I was doing, quote unquote, all the right things that I was yep. told to do. And right. I am genuinely so much more at peace now in the decisions that I am making than I was Mm -hmm. doing the quote-unquote right things then yeah and I feel like I am my true self you know one thing I used to say in college to people is like well like I'm a a feminist but I don't I don't agree with abortion right I had to like couch it with that yeah Mm -hmm. and um I don't say that anymore I'm just a feminist (laughs) you know and I and and I just feel like I, when I do things, when I make choices, it's what I want to do, what I yes. feel is best, and not based on some nonsense rules and structures that are like maybe in a Bible, but also maybe just things that people made up. And also, like, you know, who even says the Bible is like actually, you know, all of these things. And it's, it's not that anymore. There's, it's not me figuring out what I'm supposed to do, it's figuring out what I want to do, what is best for me. And that's Mm -hmm. a different freeing place to be in. Yes, we love freedom. And you know what? I feel like what makes me also genuinely really happy is connecting with people. I mean, we still talk in general, but Mm -hmm. to be able to dive into things that I feel like I've been able to observe from afar with people yeah. Um, I've clearly seen a transformation in myself and in others. And we've all kind of, there's like a group of us that have grown yeah. simultaneously and separately. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's really but cool to be- But we've ended up be, sort of in the same place. Yeah. You know, or like at least at the same chapter of the book, if not on the exact same page of the book, you know? And that's so. what's so beautiful to me is that now I'm connecting with people again about these things specifically that mm-hmm. we all navigated really independently. And yes. now we're getting to really beautifully and freely share what our experiences were. And yeah. I'm hoping that there are other people that get to hear this that are like, you know what? I am so proud of who I am because they can hear these things and be like look how proud they are um and i just think that being able to talk about this in 
a really explicit and open way is important yeah. because I didn't know there were other people who went through the same stuff as me. And also, if you're somewhere on this journey where you don't feel like you're on the other side, yes. like, it, if you had talked to me about this three years ago, it would have been a really different conversation, and I would have maybe intellectually understood some things, but not... Yep. Um, not have had all of those experiences and ended up where I am. And so like all of those experiences are valid along the way and they are hard. And it, I, I'm sure in 10 years I'll, I'll have a different part of the story yes. to tell, you know, um, I don't know. I like, I feel like I'm ending with some sort of like corny English teacher metaphor or something, but it's like, it is a journey. That's like, a brand of, for you. But it is, but like, that's all of life, right? It's not yes. like, oh, well now I'm on the other side. I've solved the problem of everything wrong in my life. Yes. And like, I am golden. It's like, you know, like this is where I am now. And it's so different and better than where I was in college. And like, we'll see what happens next. Yep, we've never fully arrived, but we are definitely nope. better than we were. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, this was so fun. Thank you so yeah. much. You're welcome. Why? you were the first guest on Respectfully No. Oh, that's so exciting. I and love somehow it. appropriate. <laughs> I know. And let's see. Uh, the outro is whether we see you at Heaven's Gates or Hell's Flames doesn't matter. We're all the same. See you next time. Love it. <laughs>